0: starting a timely new series today it's actually gonna be two weeks called the counselor and then i added on let's talk (laughs) right so i was gonna put a couch up there and, and ask one of you guys to lay on it you know during the entire message you know as if i'm talking to them but i didn't do that to you so you're uh but if you if you mess up, if you goof around, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have somebody up there next week. Just kidding. So uh, we've been talking about the fact that everyone needs to be involved, right, in what God's doing in our church. We talked about it through EO3. Uh, if God wants to accomplish his mission in our church family, through our church family, we all need to be involved in that. Those of us who call Grace Point their church and um, so we as Christians need to be ready to walk with people who come to Christ as God is going to, I'm confident, continue to bring people to our church, put people into your life and into my life. Where we're going to share about who Jesus Christ is and, and what he's done for us and for them. And and then we're going to have people come in and we're going to have to walk with them. People who are hurting, people who are fearful, who've got, who are depressed and, and anxious about life. We get the privilege of explaining to them and showing them in our own lives how God takes those things and uses our struggles to grow us spiritually and to draw others to Christ. In fact, here's the command that we're going to be looking at this week and next week. Paul, we're back in 1 Thessalonians, we've been hitting that book uh, pretty hard lately, but he says this, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now, the Greek word there, It means those who are not doing life God's way, those who are out of step. It also has this idea that they're they're lazy. The reason why it's happening is because they're not they're not doing it. They're they're lazy. Encourage the faint-hearted. So those are people who are feeling inadequate or depressed. And then help the weak. Those are who are spiritually uh, immature. And then be patient with everyone. And so um, next week we're going to look at we're going to talk more about that verse. But in fifteen through twenty-three we're going to talk about. How does that happen? How do we, you know, admonish people? You know, how do we encourage people? How do we help people? Uh, so that's next week. This week, we're going to focus a little bit on something else. As that, that's our jumping off point. But let me just give you a hint about next week. For us to do this command, and the rest of the verses, because there's a bunch of commands in these verses. For us to do that, we have to commit ourselves to work towards a total life change, a total lifestyle change in the way we think and the way we respond. We tend to think the way we think and respond the way we respond, but God's saying, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to think the way I think and I want you to respond the way I respond. In every area of life, not here and there, not pick and choose, but in every area of life, if you're going to accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish, and if you want to help people who are um, fearful, who are anxious, depressed, then you need to be able to do these things. And so today we need to address uh, an issue first. Um, Because we've got Christians who are called to do this Who are themselves fearful, depressed, and anxious? The number of conversations I've had, the number of, as you walk out into the lobby, you start getting into conversations with people, the number of Christians who are fearful about what's going on in life, who are anxious about things that are happening in their life, about depressed about how their life is or where their life, they think their life is going. We're the ones, as Christians, who have the confidence of faith. At least we're supposed to have the confidence of faith. We're, we're supposed to have the joy of Christ, the, the hope of salvation. And yet we're, we don't. We, we're struggling. And so that issue needs to be addressed first before we can ever help anybody else out. And so if we don't know how to manage our fear, our depression, and anxiety, how are we ever going to help somebody else out? And this is one of those total life change things that has to happen. If you notice, I use the word, and I use the word manage. I didn't use the word heal. I didn't use a word that Scripture never puts towards fear, anxiety, depression, and all those, the mental health issues that we have today. Now, God may heal. God may take that away. I'm not saying he, he won't, he might, but if you look through scripture and what God says, what God does, and by the way, mental health issues are throughout scripture. If we want to use today's definitions, Genesis chapter 3, postpartum depression is mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to make you look for it, but it's there. The, the, the mental health issues that keep all the new definitions, all the new stuff that's happening, all the new ways people are being challenged and struggling, and that's not new. It's into the Bible. Next week, you've got a lot next week, but I'll try to point out some of those key places where the Bible speaks this. But God's not about removing every obstacle or difficulty or problem in our life. He's there to help us manage it because we, we're sin-filled people who live in a sin-filled world. And when we place our faith in Christ, yeah, there's some things that change in our life. But our, our bodies, our minds keep trying to get us to go back to the way we used to think, to go back to the fears that we used to have. And the world tries to get us to do this. We can't have the, the misunderstanding that God's going to remove everything and make our life easy because that's not what the purpose is of those things. He allows things into our lives. If you want to talk about someone in the Bible who had this happen to him, it's the Apostle Paul. If the, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian in the Bible, some people would say, he asked God, remove the thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that was. And it's good that we don't know what it is, because if we knew, if it gave us it, then we'd all be focusing on that thing. But it's just this thorn in the flesh, something that keeps on causing him to do what? Go back to God. And God says, hey, you need to know it. my grace is sufficient. I can handle this. I'm letting that in your life. I'm keeping it in your life. So you draw close to me. So you know who I am. So you understand what I want to do in and through you. God promises to strengthen us through our struggles. God promises to use those things to grow us spiritually. God promises to use those things in order to draw the people to Christ so we can walk with them through their struggles. So today, I want to look at why is it that Christians struggle with fear, depression, and anxiety? So if you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Christ, you're you're not what the Bible will call a Christian. This is great information for you to hear, because this will help you as you're trying to figure out, okay, do, you know, what's this whole God thing and having a relationship with God and faith in Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's going on there? This is good information for you to to think through and to say, hey, do I want that in my life? Do I want a relationship with Christ? So, as somebody who um, who deals with bouts of what the mental health world would call depression, that's that's me. Um, and talking with people, there's three main reasons why Christians will struggle with these issues, okay? So I put them up on the screen. Some are just ignorant. Now, I don't mean that. I'm not like, you ignorant. You know, it's not that. Ignorance just means you don't know. And so there's some believers, some Christians, some are, you know, newly, they just recently come to Christ. So they don't even, they, they're just kind of getting a whole, okay, I gave my life to Christ. He forgave me my sins. They're just trying to figure all that out, right? And so they just don't know. Some, sadly, are people who have professed to know Christ for many years, but they're not in God's Word, they're not studying God's Word, they may come on Sunday mornings, they may or not come on Sunday mornings, and they just don't know. And so there are those who, in that case, will respond in an incorrect way to the issues that are going on in their life. Second group would be those who disbelieve. So, there are some people who know what God's word says, but they don't believe it. They don't trust it. They don't think that God knows better than they do as to how they should handle this situation, that situation, this thought, that thought, whatever is going on in their lives. They'll trust trust a non-Christian, maybe even somebody in the medical world, and maybe it's a friend of theirs, somebody on Facebook that they don't know. They'll trust everybody else, but when it comes to this stuff, they're not going to necessarily. Trust God. We're okay with some of God's commands, the ones that we feel like we, one when we start getting into commands that are kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that one. Next week, and I'm, gonna, I'm challenging at the end of this um, message to have you read 1 Thessalonians five fourteen through 23 multiple times this week, because there are things in there that I guarantee you we're going to read and we're going to be like, ah, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. It's impossible for me to do that. Okay, well, we're already thinking the way we think. We're already ready to take a step down the wrong direction. Because if God says we can do it, then we can do it. Because God said it. Not me. God said it. Not you. God said it. And then the other one is laziness. I mean, just, you know, I've got steel-toed boots on today. Um, Sometimes we're just lazy. I know I am. And my miles will start tracking down the road that I shouldn't be going down, and I know how to stop it, but I'm just I'm just lathe and tired. You know. And then pretty soon put the brakes on. Oh Lord forgive me for that. I can't believe I was going down please forgive me. And I go back to doing what God calls me to do, which is in second or 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 23. Hopefully I'm wetting your whistle for those verses. It's funny. <laughs> I put in here um I said, uh, drugs, uh, drugs only deal with symptoms, and usually for a time, but not the underlying thinking and perspective that causes FDA. Isn't that funny? FDA, federal drug. <laughs> <Anyways. clears throat> um, no, I literally, it was in my notes. But that is the case. And somebody asked me this morning, does that mean we, should, we shouldn't be taking drugs? I'm going to hold off on that until next week. Okay, let's just wet your whistle even more. Find out about that next week so i can 't make a person trust god i can 't motivate people to be in god 's Word, but what I can do this morning is i can I can give you some information I can help with the ignorance side of things um, and and i 'm ignorant too, so this is going to be really good. Um, but I want to talk about this morning about who <clears throat> who we are now i 'm talking to Christians this morning, okay um, so who we are as Christians, I want to talk about who God is. And then I want to talk about what God's purpose is in our lives, what he's trying to do in and through our lives. Okay, you guys ready for that? All right. There's going to be a lot of verses. Pray for Don. He's working a computer this morning. There's a lot of verses. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is I've put notes at the information center for you, a little half sheet that has all the verses in it. So maybe, even though I want you guys to take notes, maybe what you, you would be better to do is just kind of sit back and just really focus in, because I want us to know what God says. This is not about what Harold says. I want to give you what God says and let you interact with the verses that we're reading <clears throat> and respond in your heart to God uh, and don't throw tomatoes or anything at me. Um, so what do we need to know? Well, the first thing is this. Christians are sinners saved by grace. Amen? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you Lord. Don't have to work for our salvation. Jesus did it. Took did all the work necessary. Took God's wrath. But we're still sinners. All right? So that's an important thing to remember. So let me read these from Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> for if we have become united with him with Jesus in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have been united with Christ in his death. Your sins have been placed on Christ. Christ took the wrath, God's wrath, your wrath that God is supposed to put on you. He did it to Christ. And when Christ rose from the dead, then we rise from the dead, in a sense, spiritually speaking, so that Christ's righteousness is given to us. Not that we are perfect, but when God sees us, He sees Christ. Knowing this, that our old self, our old thinking, our old living, the way we did life before salvation, was crucified, was put to death. So how you used to think, how you used to live, when you placed your faith in Christ, that died. From God's perspective, that's dead, gone, you, it has no power over you anymore in order that <clears throat> our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, no longer slaves to thinking and living the way we did before salvation. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to apologize. There's a bunch of highlighted words and there's a bunch of parentheses. My daughter's like, this is like the Herald Amplified version of what you do on Sunday mornings. Get that. Here's why I do that. <clears throat> I do this for me just as much as do it for you. Because I have a tendency when I'm reading the Bible, I forget what I just got done reading. And so I'm constantly reminding myself what it was he was talking about. All right. So if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, sorry. Um, for he who has died, and we have, if we place our faith in Christ, is freed from sin. So Jesus saves us from our old way of thinking and living. Therefore, because we've died to our old way of thinking and living, do not let sin reign or take control in your mortal body, your physical body. See, what happens is, <clears throat> when we start thinking wrong, and this happens begins to happen over a period of time, we'll talk more about this next week, but you begin, you think wrong, and then you start having fears about life, <clears throat> and then you start dwelling on them, so that would kind of get you depressed, and then that be- dwelling becomes so much more, pretty soon your body actually will respond in a symptomatic way because you're, you're causing your body to do that by how we're thinking. So we're thinking about something, we're thinking about something, and me on an airplane, and all of a sudden I start having a little deeper breaths and my heart starts pounding. And if you've had any kind of anxious stuff or trauma, trauma in your past, your mind goes back to that and pretty soon, now you're in full-blown fear mode. Okay? But it starts in our mind. It starts up here, what we're thinking about, what we're dwelling on. What we're constantly thinking about, that's where it is. So don't let sin reign, take control of your mortal body, so that you're, so you obey its lusts. So you must reject the temptation to think and live our old way. That's, what, that's the battle that we're going to be talking about. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. So we have a, we have a part in this. We have to make a choice. A decision. We can't be lazy in this. We've got to make a choice. Say no to what we would used to do and to say yes to what God's trying to get us to do. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So we choose God's way by doing life God's way. We show that we trust him by taking that step of faith and doing it. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not be master over you. How can Paul be so confident? Well, because God's the one telling him this. How can God be so confident? Because he's God. (laughs) Right? You know, I like these easy questions. They help me. So as Christians, we can say no to sin. We're saved by grace, but we're still sinners. The difference is, now we can say no. No, I'm not going to start thinking that way. No, I'm not going to start doing that again. I'm not going to start living that way again. See, God forgave us of our sin when we placed our faith in Christ, and that he took away the consequences of our sin. We love this one, right? Oh, man, I don't have to go to hell. He took away the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sin, so we get to go to heaven one day. But he also took away the earthly power of sin in our lives. That's the one we kind of struggle with, because we kind of like our life the way it is. We don't want to be totally surrendered. We want to choose which commands that we do and which ones we don't do. But we can say no to temptations. We can, we can face a temptation and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to respond that way. Now, it doesn't mean we become perfect on this side of heaven. We're going to struggle with this our whole lives. Why? Because we've got a lot of growing up to do. Gonna, we're going to be perfect in heaven. So we wrestle with our sin. This is what Paul said in Romans uh, chapter seven. It says, "For I do not. Uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. I got a sinful flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, God's way, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. In other words, the old way of thinking and living." Paul's not saying, hey, Christians, do this. He's saying, I know your struggle. I'm in this with you. This is not right. This is wrong. <laughs> if you want to put it that way, this, there's a better way of doing life. So then he just he gets to the end of his rope. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Right? We've all been there, right? Any one of us who are trying to do life God's way have been here. Well, maybe it's just me. <laughs> Can we sit down afterwards? In my office, somebody tell me, uh, how we do this? Yeah, we've all been there. So then he gets us to verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, which means master. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So we know what God wants us to do, but then our sinful flesh seems to gain that power over us. So now that we can say no, now we know there's a battle. We didn't know that before. We didn't experience it before. We didn't care. Now we care. Now the struggle's there. The struggle's real, as they say. When we think we know better than God, then we're going to fail in doing what God calls us to do. Why is that? Jeremiah 17, 9. One of the reasons why I'm using so many Bible verses, when I want you guys to know what God is saying but I want you to see it's throughout the Bible. <laughs> you know, from Genesis to Revelation. Jeremiah, Old Testament. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? God's trying to tell us our hearts are desperately sick. We are deceitful. We deceive ourselves. In fact, Paul says that. Look at what he says. Go to the next one. Let no man deceive himself. Why, why would the Bible, and by the way, you can look up deceive, it's used a lot in this way. Why would God have the authors of the Bible tell us, hey, don't deceive yourself? Because we deceive ourselves. <laughs> we're constantly telling ourselves lies. We're constantly responding to life based off of lies. So we deceive ourselves. Why? Because we're saved by grace, but we're still in the sinful bodies. We're not perfectly, we don't think perfectly anymore, or yet. We will in heaven. So, if any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, if you, if you think the way the world thinks, if, if you think the way out of this is through some way that the world, some non-Christian people have come up with, he's saying, hey, you need to become foolish. What he's saying there is, you need, you need to look like a fool to everybody else, non-Christians and sadly even some Christians. Why? Because you need to become wise. God's wisdom. God's wisdom, God's way of doing life looks foolish. Your, your friends who are not Christians are going to go, What? You're doing what? Well, just go to the doctor. Get something for that. But God tells us a different way. God wants to show himself. When we trust God's way, We'll have success in doing life God's way. And that's where God the Holy Spirit comes in. As sinners who are saved, we need God the Holy Spirit to help us. So Romans 8, 11. Chapter 8, by the way, every Christian in this room should be knowing Romans 8. You should have that locked down. That's the answer to, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? Romans 8. Just live out Romans eight every single day i 'm just pulling one verse. This is my favorite uh, one of my favorites of all, of all the Bible. but if the spirit of him, God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you place your faith in Christ, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead again God the Father, will also give life spiritual power to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you again. Sin impacts us us physically. But God's Spirit will give strength to our spiritual bodies to do what it is that we need to do. But we have to take a step of faith to do it. We've got to team up with Him. And so we need God's Spirit to strengthen us, to empower us. And it's the same power. Think about this. God's power is infinite. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that took away your sin and my sin and the sin of everybody who ever lives who have placed their faith in Christ. That's pretty powerful. We'll give life to your mortal bodies. I don't know. I'm, I would rather have God do that in my life than anything else. I would rather see God do stuff in my life than go some other way that the world tells me that I should go. But we need to take a step of faith. Now, this can't happen if we're not over here day in and day out spending time in God's Word. Studying God's Word for yourself, not for other people, for yourself. Memorizing. Oh, here I can't memorize. Yes, you can. Why? Because God says you can. There's a way that you remember things. Figure it out. I do a certain way, you do it a different way, but figure it out. Memorize Scripture, have it in your head, meditate on Scripture. If you worry, you can meditate. Worry is negative meditation. Let's do some positive meditation. I don't mean on a candle. I go um, um. no on God's word. We, we need to fill our minds with God's Word. Again, next week, you're gonna sit there and go. Maybe even this week, as you're reading it, wow, that's a total different life change thing, <laughs> yeah I woke up this morning at like quarter to i guess it was not quite anyways eleven forty five I woke up and I didn't go back I didn't fall bad sleep till about one I was thinking about the message and and just praying through things and pulling verses from my memory and and you know just adding i was writing i was emailing myself. <laughs> Uh, just so I would remember some of this stuff, ended up not really using any for today, but maybe next week. Why do we do that? Why do we spend time in God's Word? Why do we memorize Scripture? Why do we meditate on Scripture? Because Jesus did it. Jesus had it in His head, but as a human, He did it. When He was tempted by Satan, He used Scripture. And so as Christians, we need to be in it. So we're doing that, and then we're actually practicing it as well. You can't You to both. So that's who we are. <clears throat> We're sinners saved by grace. We need God's direction and power to do what he calls us to do. We're going to look foolish to other people, but we need to do it. We struggle because we fail to appreciate that God not only created our physical lives, but also the life that we should be living, which brings us to the next point. <clears throat> God is the creator of life, not just physical life, the purpose of life. So Genesis 2.15, all the way back in creation, God created us. We believe that. I won't go into the whole thing. But in 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. So this is the first human that God does this to, but the rest of the Bible is all about people who God then draws to himself, who put their faith in him. He places them in this world to keep To cultivate, to keep what he's given them. Because everything is God's. And so we cultivate it. We develop it. We keep it. We guard it. He's our creator. He determines our purpose. He didn't create us to do whatever it is that we want to do. We're to cultivate and keep, to manage, protect what he's given us and the world that he's placed us in, the garden that we have. And when we do, he says, I'm going to give you everything you need. If you're wondering why you don't have what you need, take a good look to say, maybe you're not doing what God's called you to do because he promises to give you what you need. Here's a key point. When God created this world and our, and our purpose, he didn't ask man what his opinion was. And he's not interested in us telling him what our opinion is. When he did all this and he goes, hey Harold, um you know, I, I know you got some incredible abilities when it comes to construction. Any thoughts? You know, anything I could do here to kind of get the foundation of this world and universe put together? You know, here's how life is supposed to be lived. Any any thoughts, Harold, on how you may want to, you know, maybe adjust some of my perfect plans and make it even better? You know, <laughs> he's not asking us. Look what Isaiah forty says. I mean this is kind of like ready right in your face, blunt stuff, but who who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? The answer in the in the Hebrew is no, no one. God didn't ask us. He doesn't need to ask us. He's God. It's his idea, his plan. With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him? On the way of understanding, again, the answer is no one. He doesn't want our opinion on this. Our opinion is from deceitful hearts. Hearts that deceive. He doesn't need us. We don't want him to. We want his way. That's where the freedom is. That's where the growth is. Kim and I had our taxes done this week. And uh, we were talking with our tax lady. Pastors' taxes are just really weird. And so we go to so, some lady who seems to have it figured out. <laughs> I hope so. Um, if you see me handcuffed one of these days and taken to, you know, maybe. But anyways, so we're talking, and she's telling us about this other pastor, so it's not Kim and me, some other pastor in another town who was working with a, a, a payroll company, and she was really frustrated with the payroll company. She was just making, you know, small talk as she was... Pu- Putting in numbers, and we were all just kind of you know, sitting and just looking at her like, "What do we talk about?" She's putting. So anyway, she was giving us a story. So as a pastor and his wife, the wife worked for the church as well, and they got the W two and the W two. What they figured out that eventually was they had some of the pastor's income in it, and some of the lines or some of the boxes, and in the other boxes they had the wife's. Well, that's illegal, you know, obviously, and that's not good. And so she was like, "Something's got to be here." So, long story short, her and, and one of her colleagues and the pastor got together, and they called this company, and they're like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And because this is wrong, you guys got this messed up. You're the experts, you know. But you guys got this messed up. And this, and she says, or the lady on the other side of, of the phone says, "Well, that's how the pastor wanted it set up." And so our lady returned fire and said. You guys that are the professionals, what are you doing listening to this pastor who obviously doesn't know what he's talking about? You know, getting the pastor potentially in trouble as well. That's what Christians do all the time. God's the expert. We don't tell God what to do. We don't come up with a better idea. We were, uh, years ago in, in Hagerstown, Maryland, Kim drove over to the high school and then the truck wouldn't start and so the, the battery needed to be jumped and, and she couldn't get a hold of me and... And so some high school kid shows up, he goes, Oh, I can help you with that. So he puts the jumper cables on it and she tries it, it doesn't start, you know, so obviously it's something battery's dead. He goes, Oh wait, let me try one other thing. When you're jumping a battery, there's not one other thing. You don't cross. Okay? That's what he did. So there was something wrong with the battery before, or wasn't before, now there was. There when it comes to doing life God's way, there's not another way to do it. You don't cross the wires. We do that. We blow up our lives. And then you got to run over to the... Well, no. The, that whole illustration dies right there. Because so. <laughs> we went to the auto parts store, got a new battery. It all worked. It was fine. But I'll move on. So why has God done all this? Why has God created us? Why has he saved us from hell? Why does he give us his Holy Spirit to do life his way? Well, it's not for him to become a personal genie in our lives. It's not for us to give up our list and say, okay, and he makes it happen. All right, There's a reason why he's done it, and it's not for us in a sense of our way of doing life. And so here's what he says in Ephesians 2 and in chapter 3. Ephesians 2, 4. This is right after Paul says, hey, remember before you came to Christ you were spiritually dead? And you were going to experience God's wrath? But God, God jumps in to save us, being infinitely rich in mercy. Now, anytime you see a characteristic of God, put it in your head, infinitely. He's infinitely merciful. So it doesn't matter what you've done. He's got mercy to cover it. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's got grace to cover it. He's infinite, right? It's awesome. But God, being infinitely rich in mercy because of his infinitely great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, before we even placed our faith in Christ, made us spiritually alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved through faith. Even when we were dead, he died for us to have life, and then he gave us that life when we trusted him, when we put our faith in him. Then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense in the Greek means it's as if it's already happened. So a whole another sermon, but that's eternal security right there. You don't need to ask God to save you every week. One and done. If you want to put it that way. So that, here's the reason, why does he do this? So that his purpose for saving us in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his infinite grace and kindness towards us, In Christ Jesus. Go to the next one. Chapter 3. To me, speaking of Paul, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. Which grace? The gift of preaching to the Gentiles and non-Christians the unfathomable riches of Christ. Infinitely so, by the way. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. In other words, God's plan for salvation who created all things. Next one. So that, here's the purpose for saving us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, so as individuals coming together as a church, to the rulers and authorities, which ones? In the heavenly places. Why did God save you and me? Not for how good we look, not for the talents that we bring, not for the ideas that we can bring to a brainstorming session with God. He did it for himself, to show himself to reveal himself, to glorify himself, to show how awesome he is to us and then through us to others. That's why we're in the life that we have. That's why we're going through what we're going through. So God can show himself in and through us to other people. Once he saves us from our sins and once he saves us from the eternal consequences of His sins, then he wants us to be saved from the earthly power of sin so that we become more like Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. Go to the next one. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. We love this verse, right? For good to those who love God, those who are willing to sacrifice their way for God's way. Love is looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost us. We're going to look out for God's best, and since we're going to do life God's way, what is going to cost us? Doing life our way thinking the way we think responding the way we respond so we put that to death because we love God to those who are called according to his purpose what's the purpose verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined he chose them for salvation to become what conformed to the image of a better version of Harold (laughs) no to the image of his son God's not looking to make you a better version of you The world says, hey man, find your path and make a better version of you. No! Don't settle for that. That's shooting way low. Conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Allow Christ to grow himself in you. I'm not saying you become God. I'm not saying you become Jesus. But you begin to think like him and you begin to respond like him. With everything that God allows into our lives. Not anything we go through is good, in a sense, enjoyable. We weren't. God never promised us that. He promised us the strength that we need to get through. He promised us the growth that's going to happen. We're gonna, he promised us the intimacy with him that would happen. He promised to use whatever it is to show himself through us to others who are looking for him in their life. Close with this verse, these verses. Hebrews, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons and daughters. For what son, again, whenever you see son, it's son and daughters, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, if you're a Christian, you're, you're, opened up to, you're opening yourself up to this discipline from God, that you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if God's not disciplining us, then it's like we're not his children, because he doesn't do that for non-Christians. He does it for those who place their faith in Christ, have been adopted by him. Furthermore, we had earthy, earthy fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Eh. Shall we not much? He's, he's just being real positive there, right? You know. uh, he didn't know my father. Um, no, I respected my dad. I just really didn't like when he disciplined me, because as always, he was wrong. It's me. Come on, people. You know what I'm saying? Oh, anyways, shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so we may share his holiness. Oh, so that I think and I respond more like Jesus. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been entrained by it, that's the discipline here, is being trained. It's not punishment. Jesus took our punishment. This is training. This is developing. We do it in sports, and we're okay with it. We do it in music, we're okay with it. We do it in art, we do, you know, we do it at work, we're okay with it. we'll us be okay with it in our Christian lives. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Thinking, living like Jesus. <clears throat> so here's a big point. If we as Christians are going to manage our fear, depression, and anxiety in a way that grows us spiritually and can be used to show others who God is, we need to stop thinking we or others know better than us. And we need to go to God, totally surrendered to doing life the way God wants us to do, to think the way he wants us to think, to respond the way he wants us to respond. As the band comes up, here's some takeaways. I know some of you guys are what? He's done already? Yeah. Last month was just an aberration. <laughs> that was long. So, first of all, for those, for those of you who are here this morning you haven't placed your faith in Christ, and maybe you're sitting there going, wow, I want this. You know, I want this relationship with God. I want God in my life. I want God helping and encouraging. And I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But here on earth, I want him to help me through this world. I'm not going to pray a prayer. You just need to have a conversation with God that kind of includes that kind of stuff up here. That you admit that you're a sinner. That you know you're separated from God. And that without him, you're going to spend eternity in hell. And then just to believe. Believe means to trust your spiritual well-being to him. God said that Jesus took his wrath, God's wrath, on him so that we wouldn't have to. God died, or Jesus died our eternal death. God the Son And then confess that. Just confess that to God. Have a conversation to God. We call it prayer, but it's just a conversation with God where you say, God, I I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And if you pray that prayer, have that conversation with God right here, right now, I'd love to hear about it. You don't have to do it right here. You can think about more, but I would challenge you to do it here, now. If you do that, put it on a card, throw it in a bucket, or stop me out in the lobby, let me know. Secondly, this week, prayerfully read through 1 Thessalonians five fourteen to 23 and ask God, and I don't mean just once, multiple times a day. Get it in your head. Get it in your heart and ask God, Lord, where do I need? Don't think about anybody else. Just think about yourself. God, help me to know where to, what's my next step. See, this isn't going to be a one, one and done thing. This is going to be the rest of your life until God takes you to heaven where God's going to show you areas of your life that you need to submit to him. And in that then you're going to experience the confidence he gives. You're going to experience the joy that he gives. You're going to experience the hope that he gives. And then the third thing. There it is. Read up on a biblical perspective on fear, depression, anxiety. Because a lot of Christians don't know it. You might think you know it. You might even go to a Christian counselor, psychologist, and they don't know it. Because sadly, very few people do know what God's Word has to say about these things. So I got notes at the Information Center that actually list some books that I've either have read recently or I'm currently reading on it um, for my own self, but also to help others as well. Let's go ahead and stand and close in prayer, and we'll close with a song.